Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, if you're new this morning, we have been walking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we're calling this series Building Up the Body of Christ. And so we are in chapter 2 this morning, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 10 and just meditate on those verses for a few minutes before we, we come and take the Lord's Supper. So let's be preparing that God is going to use these next minutes to prepare our hearts for that great event. Ephesians chapter 2, and let's look this morning at verses 8 through 10, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and follow along. The Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're talking this morning about rescue and life in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the rescue that is offered in Jesus that even though we were dead in trespasses and sins, as we saw last week, that the means of rescue has been provided. Father, I pray for anyone here today who's, who's never, never received that, that rescue, that lifeline that is found in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of hearts to see the beauty and love of Jesus and to turn to Him and trust Him today. Father, we pray that this might be a time of deepening our love for You. For those of us who already know You, we pray that You would use Your Word today. We pray that You would use the Lord's Supper today to bring forth deep, lasting fruit in our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. But, in in many ways, it's the most game-changing word in the English language. Because it cancels, it wipes out, it nullifies everything that has been spoken before. But is the word that you want to hear when you just received bad news, disturbing news. The MRI showed a tumor, but the biopsy revealed that it was benign. The plane had engine trouble, but it landed safely. Your child was involved in an accident, but they're okay. Now sadly, in a broken world like the one that we live in, there's not always a but. Good news does not always follow on the heels of bad news. 
But in the case of the worst news, the most troubling, the most disturbing news that human beings could ever receive, good news did follow. Glorious good news followed. Now last week, in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, we looked at the worst news. The most troubling, the most disturbing news that human beings could ever receive. We saw it in verses 1 through 3. Paul says there that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. The news doesn't get any worse than that. Dead in sin and children of wrath. Dead in sin under wrath. That's the worst news. Thankfully, verse 4 begins with a but. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And we talked about last week that the overwhelming theme of verses 4 through 7 is God's grace, God's kindness, God's compassion, God's mercy flowing toward us. And so Paul begins in verse 8 by talking about that grace. He says, for by Grace, you have been saved. And the word saved here means rescue. It's about rescue. Along the Rock River near Dixon, Illinois, there's a swimming hole called Lowell Park Beach. And it's famous because of a young man who served for six summers at Lowell Park as a lifeguard. This is a picture of that lifeguard who went on to become one of our greatest presidents. And there at the beach, there's a a plaque that says this, Ronald Reagan, life-saving log, 77 lives saved by Dutch, that was his nickname, at Lowell Park Beach, 1927 to 1932. A lifeguard saves people who cannot save themselves. Drowning people have to be rescued. Now, verses 1 through 3 tell us that was exactly where we were. Dead in sin, drowning in sin. We could do nothing to help ourselves. Hopeless. And God in His grace saved us. He he rescued us. And it was all by grace. Grace means 
unmerited favor. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Not something that we earned. Something Christ earned for us. Uh, Not something that we accomplished. Something that was accomplished on our behalf. And and Paul labors in verses 8 and 9 to communicate this over and over. What does he say? He says, this is not your own doing. He says, it is the gift of God. He says, it is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, Paul adds that last phrase because he knows our tendency toward pride. We'd like to think that we contribute in some way to our salvation, but no. The only thing that we bring to the table in salvation is our sin. And God brought His Son. It's all grace. And so, he says that we're saved by grace and through faith. Through faith. Again, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. God's rescue is offered to us as a free gift. As he says here, it is the gift of God. But what must you do for a gift to become yours? You have to receive the gift. You have to take it. And the way that we receive God's gift of salvation is through faith. Acts chapter 16 and verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Again, John 3.16. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. But what does it mean to believe in a saving way? Does it mean just intellectual assent? Do we just believe certain facts about Jesus? Oh, no. To believe in a saving way means to rely upon Christ. That word carries the idea of reliance. We are relying upon Jesus and His work to save us. We are relying upon Christ to secure for us a righteous verdict before a holy God. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. We're going to stand before our Creator one day. Every person in this room will. And there's going to be judgment. And we want that judgment to be not guilty. But how can that judgment be not guilty when we're all guilty of sin, which we are? It can be not guilty for one reason. Because Jesus Christ went to the cross and took our guilt, our sin, and our shame, and the condemnation that we deserved. The righteous wrath of God that we deserved was poured out on Christ. Christ, it was put on Him. He paid the price. The guilty verdict was laid on Him so that we could receive a not guilty verdict before God one day. So, Christians are not people who are looking forward to saying to a holy God one day, Hey God, check out my record. Look at how I've lived. Look at the good things I've done. Look at the things I've managed, the bad things I've managed to avoid. God, check out my record. That's not a Christian. A Christian is a person who could only say to God, God, I, I plead the blood of my Savior and His resurrection from the dead. 
I, I know that I don't deserve your salvation. I know that I'm a sinner. But I believe that you gave your son. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he rose from the dead, and I am relying on him alone. The saddest conversations I have ever had as a pastor are in beside hospital beds with people who are going to meet their maker very soon, and I ask them about the basis of their confidence. And I ask them, when you go to stand before God, and, and God is to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? You know, how would you respond to that? And they respond to me by pointing to their record. Because I've tried to be good. Because I've done the best that I can. It's all about them. Nothing about Jesus. It's about their record, not His. And they're not ready to meet God because they don't have a Savior. They're trusting in their own record, their own works. They're not trusting in Christ. Salvation is through Him. It's about trusting in what He has done for us to secure for us a not guilty verdict before a holy God. Now, there are three things that I want us to see this morning about real saving faith. First of all, real saving faith is backed up by evidence. Christianity is not about just sort of believing in something generally. That's the way that our culture defines faith. Oh, he's, you know, he has faith. You know, he, like sort of a general spiritual sort of sense. No, this is a faith with content. And it's a faith that is backed up by evidence. What was the gospel that the early Christians proclaimed and that we are called to proclaim we see it in first corinthians chapter 15 paul says for i delivered to you as of first importance what i also received that christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to cephas and then to the twelve then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive in other words go and check out the evidence Ask the eyewitnesses. So what we believe is that Christ died for our sins. A real historical event in real space and time, real history. That Christ died for our sins. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day. And that He appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses. The evidence is there to back it up. And so faith is not just sort of some sentiment, you know, it's just not just this little thing that you can have in your life for comfort now and then. No, real saving faith is concrete. It is faith in a real Christ who died a real death for our sinners and experienced a real burial and a real resurrection and who was going to come again, really, in victory. That's the object of our faith. Second, real saving faith includes 
repentance. It includes repentance. You know, repentance and faith are like two sides of the same coin. You can't separate them. You can't believe in a saving way without repenting. You can't repent in a saving way without believing. These things are are, are never separated in Scripture. They weren't separated in the preaching of Jesus. When you read about the preaching of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, the first thing that Jesus preaches that we have recorded is what? It says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, Paul to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, he defines his ministry, his preaching, as testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, repentance does not mean that we become sin-free. We're still very much sinners, even after we repent and trust in Christ. The difference is in our heart attitude. When you've repented, you're not at peace with your sin anymore. You're making war on your sin. You don't love it anymore. You hate it. It's a change in our our, our heart attitude about sin. And the claim that uh, that we can somehow place our faith in Christ without without that including repentance, or that somehow Christ can be, we can accept Christ as Savior and not as Lord, is simply not biblical. Jesus says in Luke 13, 3, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I'm going to take Jesus' word on that. And besides, it's impossible to truly trust in Christ without repenting. Because what are you believing When you believe in Christ, what are you believing? You are believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the King, the Lord, who was crucified, buried, arisen, and coming again. How can you believe that He's the King of your world and, and not believe that He's the King of your life? He is the Lord. He is the king. And so real saving faith includes repentance. And then third, it results in works. It results in works. Verse 10. Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, in verses 8 and 9, Paul labors again and again and again to communicate that good works have nothing to do with becoming a Christian. But what he's saying here in verse 10 is that once we are truly saved, which is by grace through faith alone, that it will result in a life of good works. So while we are not saved by good works, we certainly are saved for good works. So 
What does he say? We are his workmanship. That's a beautiful word in Greek. It means like a, a, a work of art, God's masterpiece. You know, when God, when God created the world and when he created human beings, uh, before that creation was marred by sin, God, God created human beings. And what did he say? He says, it was, it was, said everything else was good. Then he created human beings. He says, it was very good. Okay, but then uh, sin entered the world and, and, uh, and, and his creation was marred, defaced by sin. But you know what God's doing now? God's making new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And God looks at his new creations in Christ. And he says, once again, this is my workmanship. You know, this, is, this is my work of, of art. You know, and it's like he's, he's, he's written a beautiful piece of music, a beautiful score of music. And now we're to play it. Right? So he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And listen to this which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you ever wonder if God's got a plan for your life? Yes. Because the Bible says that He's got a plan for you to impact people for His glory. He's got good work for you to do. That God, He's uniquely crafted you to do, to make an impact in the lives of people. So... Real faith, okay, real saving faith, Galatians 5, 6 says, expresses itself through love. We have been on the receiving end of so much love. And now that we've placed our faith in a God who has loved us so much, and He has adopted us as His own beloved sons and daughters, how do we respond to that? You know, we have been loved so much by God and, and placed our faith in Him. And the Bible says in Galatians 5, 6 that that faith expresses itself in love for other people. We've been on the receiving end of so much love. And now, responding to that grace, love is to flow from us toward others. In all kinds of ways. And we're going to talk more about verse 10 next week. But John Wesley said this. He said, do all the good you can in all ways you can to all the souls that you can in every place you can at all times you can with all the zeal you can as long as you can. Why? Because we've been so loved. We have been so loved. And now the calling is to go out and love others. And love is not just sentiment. It's not just gooey feelings. It's action. God acted in love toward us. How? Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love is ultimately shown on the cross. And we remember that now in this supper. Let's pray.
Father, as we get ready to participate in the special meal that you ordained, we thank you that we have a, a means given by you to, that reminds us of the, of the centrality of the gospel. Lord, we are so prone to go down side streets, um, so prone for the, the, the main thing not to be the main thing. And the Lord suffers something that helps us to keep the main thing the main thing. Because the main thing is Christ, His great love for us, the cross, the resurrection, His coming again. And we remember all of this in this supper that, that you told us to partake in as believers. And so we pray that you would use it as a means of ministering to our hearts right now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you're here today as one who has trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, He invites you to take part in this supper that He ordained. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.